You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you all. So a couple announcements real quick. Um, We've got out of the box happening right now. So we're providing food for food insecure families. So if you've already provided some of those, thank you so much for doing that. And then uh, secondly, our Mexico missions trip is coming right up. Uh, So we're planning for that. Uh, We've got a special informational meeting uh, December 4th. So everybody say that with me together. December 4th. Four fingers. There you go. Four fingers. Uh, That's an odd way to remember that, but there you go. Uh, December 4th is when we're going to do that informational meeting. That will be uh, after second service. So if you would like to be a part of that, uh, my daughter has, uh, my kids have all been a part of that. My 11-year-old daughter, I think she's been on four house builds already. So it's pretty, really, it's pretty neat. It's a really, really cool experience. It's for the whole family. So it's spring break for at least DVUSD. So if you want to be a part of that, I'd love for you to, to join us in that. So today I get the privilege to teach in God's Word to you. I'm really excited over the next two weeks. I'm going to be teaching through what's called the Good Shepherd Discourse in the Gospel of John. So if you've got a Bible, we're in a brand new chapter called uh, John chapter 10, looking at the Good Shepherd Discourse. Uh, The title of the series that we've been in over the last few weeks is called Follow. And it's about what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ in your life? And so... Um, What a great couple of sections. We have uh, the famous I am statements coming back where Jesus says that he is the door. He says that he is uh, the good shepherd. And so we're learning all about what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ in this series. So let me pray for us and then we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that it would strengthen us, encourage us, lift us up, that we might find truth for life to apply every single day. Um, Lord, we want to grow in our journey together and make a difference in the world. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen. I just snuck in and prayed out our purpose statement over you. Our purpose statement is gather to discover truth for, help me out. Okay, a couple of you got it. We need to work better at this. Uh, gather to discover truth for? There you go. Grow in your spiritual journey. There you go. And go and make a difference in the world. So I want to encourage you to memorize that because that's uh, easy for you to share with people what our church is all about. We gather to discover truth for life. This morning we're going to do that as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. We're picking up in John chapter 10. Jesus has uh, gone through the controversy of the blind man that uh, he healed him and then he gave him spiritual sight. Last week, if you were with us, we did a message called Blind Spots and we looked at some different blind spots and uh, we see that Jesus gave physical healing, but he also gave spiritual healing so that people could see. And so there's still controversy tied around Jesus as we place ourselves in the context of what's going on. John chapter 10, he becomes more, uh, again, more outwardly focused to try to help people understand that he is the Messiah. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, he's going to be saying that his, his way is the only way to life, and hence the two doors I've got on the stage which I'll get to in just a minute. But let's jump in. Uh, Chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. 
Uh, This week I'll cover this section. Next week I'll cover I am the good shepherd. Today I'm going to be talking about the statement that Jesus made when he says, I am the door. Everybody say, I am the door. This is a claim that Jesus makes. And so does it mean he's a literal door? No, he's speaking figuratively. He's speaking uh, metaphorically about uh, that. And I'll jump into that. But so let's, let's look at verse one. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Immediately, Jesus is uh, giving some kind of uh, illustration and teaching. There had been a lot of sheep around the area, and he's saying that there's an appropriate way to identify uh, a false shepherd from a real shepherd. Uh, And so he's going initially to the audience with the idea of a shepherd. A shepherd in this context would have been seen as either a political leader in culture or a religious leader. And so Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's highlighting that some people um, metaphorically are are stealing or robbing people of spiritual life. And so let's just jump back in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gate keeper opens. Verse, continuing in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Note that, that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and the shepherd can call out the sheep. Um, these sheep wouldn't be uh, sheep that would be bred for slaughter, for lamb chops. These would be sheep that would have been bred for wool. And uh, shepherds could literally call the sheep and the sheep would come out. I don't know different names. Hey, Fluffy! And Fluffy runs out. Or, hey, you know, Jumpy. I don't know what they would name them, but the sheep could literally hear the voice of the shepherd and then come out. And Jesus is making an analogy, which we'll follow up next week more so on the good shepherd, that he's calling himself the good shepherd. But he, he's about to change... Uh, kind of uh, teaching and call himself uh, not the good shepherd, but he's going to call himself the door. So the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse five, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. That is a very true statement. The sheep literally would not want to follow a shepherd. It'd be like, I don't know, my wife uh, uh, with her dog, she's got this corgi, you know. Apparently those are popular in, uh, all, all around. There's like a corgi nation probably, you know. There's always a fad and a connection with everything. She calls um, him, and uh, Ollie is his name, Ollie, and Ollie comes. I try to call Ollie, Ollie, come, and Ollie's like, no way, <laughs> I'm not coming for you. I'm like, Ollie outside. He looks at me like, not until she says it, you know, and then she says outside and Ollie goes outside. So animals can be trained that way. And Jesus is, um, likens us in the Bible to sheep and Jesus himself as the good shepherd, which we'll learn more about that next week. Uh, but a stranger, they will not follow. 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he's going to leave that. He's like, all right, I'm going to leave the good shepherd teaching for a little bit later. Let me go to another direction. So he's trying to clarify who he is. Verse 7, so Jesus said, uh, again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, that's different. He just, uh, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus is saying he's the door of the sheep. I, that's kind of interesting. What's significant about that, I'll pause just for a moment, um, that the sheep pens would have been built out of um, rocks or it could have been built out of uh, different uh, materials and wood and whatnot and mud and, and pile it all together. But at the door, they would keep the door open. And oftentimes what would happen is they wouldn't build a gate. They would literally, the gatekeeper or a, a person or the shepherd himself would lie in that entryway. And what that would do is that the sheep would just, I mean, this is why uh, shepherds uh, were thought of as stinky people because they were outside in the elements a lot. Uh, but they were tough people too because they had to uh, fight off wolves or, or uh, different predators that would come in perhaps in the middle of the evening and try to take uh, one of the sheep. So literally when Jesus says, I am the door, what he's saying is I'm filling the gap. I'm the one who's right here, right beside. Nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out. I, I'm good. Unless I want to let the sheep out, they'll go out. So Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. Notice that again and again, he says that. But the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? He'll be saved. So now he's talking about you enter this door, you will be saved. Uh, and then going on, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. I mean, there's a message there for us. This is why um, no matter where you go in any part of the world, uh, Psalms 23, uh, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. You can go anywhere in the world, and believer or non-believer, when it comes to the end of life, they're looking to Psalms 23. There's something powerful about that. That's the most worn out little section in the Psalms. If you go to any place, any cemetery, any, any uh, mortuary, you'll find Psalms 23, that place is just worn out. The Lord says, I am the good shepherd, is what he is going to teach us. Uh, here he says, I am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, he compares and contrasts. He says, but then again, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to make this text uh, move in our hearts and minds in such a memory that we always want more of you. I do pray, uh, Father, for the, for the word being preached here today and taught that it would uh, resonate and help, encourage, lift up, and bring salvation. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. All throughout the Bible, there is the usage of the word door 
that is, has a strong sense of figurative language and, and metaphor. I'm going to read you a number of passages and we'll work through what these two doors represent in just a moment. But help me finish this out in Matthew 7, 7. Uh, the Bible says, knock and the door, Jesus says, knock and the door will be open to what? To you. Um, Jesus uses that metaphor. He says, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. Um, there's a, a, a usage of words where the door is representing um, a, a passageway in, to salvation. That Jesus is the door of, that leads to life. Uh, Jesus is the door that leads to salvation. Knock and the door will be opened. Uh, in Colossians 4.3, the Apostle Paul says, Pray f- also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word of God so that we can declare the mystery of Christ. The Apostle Paul uses this language that we can have an open door. It's an open door of opportunity. Uh, how many of you have said before, man, you know, I don't know, that door just hasn't opened yet. I knocked, but the door hadn't opened It's like a metaphor that we use, and all throughout the Scripture, it is the same. Um, Here's one in Psalm 78. I've got a a long list, but I'll just read you a few. Psalm 78, 23, listen to this. He says, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. Another one in Revelation 4, 1, the Apostle John says, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And there's also literal doors that are referenced in the Bible, which I love is one of my favorite scenes in John's gospel in John chapter 20 is when Thomas is very discouraged. He's one of the disciples and he's very discouraged about uh, what has just transpired. His Lord and Savior the rabbi, Jesus, the Messiah, has been crucified. He's buried. And now there's rumor that he's been raised again. And guess what they do? They go into a room. They lock themselves up. They're terrified. They're afraid. They're fearful. Meanwhile, the women are out doing all sorts of wonderful things, caring about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The men bad moment for men. They're hiding in a house, terrified they're going to be killed by association with Jesus, the Messiah. And guess who shows up behind locked doors? Jesus. When I ask a question, the answer is always Jesus, okay? So Jesus shows up behind locked doors, and Thomas is like, is that you? And I'm not going to believe unless I see the hands and see the wounds for myself, and Jesus extends but it was behind locked doors. There's a powerful metaphor for us in Scripture, and there's two doors that I want to help you to understand. What I'm going to do is to simplify it, and I'm going to say one represents in in Christianity is grace. The message for Christianity is a message of grace, that you can find salvation. You can go to Jesus, uh, and He's the door for salvation, but it's the door of grace. Uh, And it produces grace in your life. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord, then it produces grace in your life. We ought to be the most gracious people because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, There's a second uh, door 
that is presented for us in life, and that is what I would call the door of guilt. This is all other religions. This is what Jesus was saying is that all those that come before me, they're not the way. They are only there to kill, steal, and destroy. There's a door of grace, and there's a door of guilt. What I want to do for you is in just, uh, just a minute is a walk through first is help you understand this door of guilt uh, throughout the gospel uh, of John. Just uh, let's, let's, first let's read the text, uh, Matthew 23, 1 through 5. Uh, when Jesus is going to be describing all those that are in this false religion, presenting a false religion called the Pharisees, it's, a, uh, it's believe in God, but do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord. All it's going to do is produce guilt. This is uh, perhaps one of the most powerful sections of Scripture to see the error of the Pharisees. It's in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Um, this is where Jesus uh, gives the, uh, uh, he is condemning the acts and the teaching of the Pharisees. It's a religion without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 1 through 5, let me read it to you. It says, uh, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. They're hypocrites. Verse 4, uh, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. These are just fakesters, fraudsters, imposters, phonies. Matthew 23, verses 13 through 16. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, basically two-faced. And for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, presenting a religion without the, the relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. In other words, the door of grace is shut. Nobody gets in according to them. Now, they're not getting in and they're definitely not letting people in. They shut Jesus out. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte or a believer, um, not in Jesus Christ... But in their dead religion, he says, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. They had blind spots. Amen? Amen. And so what is the product of this uh, work of the Pharisees that Jesus is walking through let me just kind of walk them through uh, with you is I think there's six problems for all who decide to enter through this door of guilt. Uh, six problems for you. If you choose a, a pathway to heaven that is not the pathway of Jesus, it is not through the door of grace, but through the door of guilt. Any religion is man-centered, uh, self-help. Here's what you will face. Number one, um, you're going to encounter condemnation. Condemnation is ultimately what that means is, is that you're not getting salvation, you're getting condemnation. 
You don't get a life with God, you get a life with the devil. And this is what the Lord is saying. Uh, these are, he says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly, but there is one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Satan wants to kill you. If you won't kill yourself, um, he wants to do something. You will die spiritually forever. You can never have a relationship with Jesus Christ unless you align yourself with Jesus himself and go through the door of what Jesus is saying, and we're going to get to that. But this life is a life of condemnation. All religion ultimately produces guilt. When are you good enough? You, you always work harder to try to do more, uh, but it leads to a life of condemnation. Um, there's a deep struggle uh, for people to find peace and happiness, and if they try to find it in other religions, it ultimately leads to condemnation. Why was Jesus calling them blind guides? Because the message that they were teaching was not a message of grace. It wasn't uh, receiving Jesus Christ as Messiah, and ultimately it led to death and destruction. Um, secondly, uh, the door of guilt leads to discontentment. If you try to find uh, uh, salvation and faith outside of Jesus Christ, what you're going to find is you're going to be discontent. You're not going to be happy. Um, this is uh, why so many people are so discouraged. The vast majority of our valley is unchurched, at least uh, 87%. And there is, is there not a high, high level of discontentment in our culture? And aren't people, when you invite them to church, do you know what they say to me sometimes? Well, I don't know. I think I, I'm not good enough. I, I'd probably mess up. I, I would feel guilty. I feel like if I walked onto the campus, I might get struck by lightning. Have you, have you heard that before? Oh, you don't want me to come. Lightning will strike me. Um, so this is what, that's a, they're, they're confused. They don't understand that the doors of grace are open, that I, the folks that were out late last night and got red eyes in the morning are welcome here. That there's a message of grace and hope and healing and forgiveness. Don't invite people to a guilt. Don't guilt people into coming to church. Don't guilt people into a relationship with God. Tell them about God's grace. Um, it produces discontentment. Uh, additionally, it produces uh, hopelessness. Any kind of man-centered religion that you try to uh, subscribe to or um, abide by, ultimately it's just hopeless. You find discouragement. You don't find hope. You find hopelessness. And Jesus kept saying, you're blind guides and you're leading the blind. You're leading people astray. You make them twice as much a son of hell. Um, apart from Jesus Christ, it's hopeless. And then thirdly, I would say, is, is bondage. You can't get free from uh, the power of sin, nor can you get free from the penalty of sin unless you trust Jesus Christ as Lord. You're in bondage. The Bible says that we are uh, born into sin, that we are slaves to sin, apart from the work of Jesus Christ. Everybody that does not receive Jesus Christ as Lord is in bondage. The Bible says that their, uh, their father is the devil. There's only, you only get two fathers. You get uh, the father is your, is the devil is your father or the Lord is your father. 
You're in bondage, you can't break free. Of course, maybe you can break free from an addiction, but you're in bondage to the power of sin. You're in bondage to the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is a life separated from God. It's goodness, it's a life separated from heaven, it's a life separated um, from a life with God. Additionally, there is fear. Um, And this is what we saw all throughout the scriptures. You think back to... uh, what was going on, the Pharisees were teaching a doctrine uh, that was so anti-Christ that even the high religious scholars were afraid for their life. Think of Nicodemus, all the guilt that it produced. He had to meet Jesus at night because he was afraid. He didn't want to meet Jesus in the daylight because he was afraid. Um, And then lastly, it produces shame. So if you just try to live your life by man-centered religion, here's what you get. It's just the door of guilt. That's all it is. It's a door of guilt. And so, um, but there is another way. Um, There's another way, and that is the way of grace. And the first thing that we're going to see is that the door of grace, there's an offer uh, in this door of grace that Jesus said, he said, is salvation. So let's look back at the text and see what he says of verse 10 or chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Help me out. He'll be saved. Uh, He doesn't say I am a door. He doesn't say I'm an option. He says, I am the door. That's the door. He says, I am the door. But what's so powerful when he's saying, I am the door, literally he's the sacrificial shepherd that's laying in the sheep pen, protecting it from all the predators, protecting the sheep. And he literally is going to serve as a door. His body is going to serve as a door. That's what is going on. He says, I am the door if anyone enters by me. So now now the Pharisees are like, "What, what? Hang on, time out. You are the door, and if anyone enters by you, he will be saved. Uh, That's blasphemy. Jesus will absolutely warrant all sorts of um, trouble by saying that kind of statement. Verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's over here. And then he says, I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. What else does it give you if you walk through that door of salvation? Well, let me, let me uh, back up just for a moment. I want to read to you a quote I found from Charles Haddon Spurgeon about this door of salvation. Is there another way? No, there's not. There's only one door, okay? Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. You remember that? Uh, Jesus has also said uh, the apostles preaching and teaching when the church started, uh, the apostles would preach a message like this. There is no other name under heaven which men will be saved, but by the name of, help me out, Jesus. That's it. Um, That's hard message. I remember when I was in college in world religion class and I'm sitting down with my friends and they do not believe in Jesus. And they say to me, um, Ryan, Um, is Jesus the only way? And I knew if I said yes, I would lose my friends. I knew they would label me a bigot. And so here I am at the top of the library, 
having a conversation with my unchristian friends. We're studying world religion, and I love them deeply because I love people. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. I knew if I said yes, I'd lose my friends. And if I said no, I would be a liar and betray my conscience and my Lord. So I said to them, hey guys, according to the scripture, what a phrase. I said, according to the scripture, Jesus says he is the only way. And they looked at me and they said, do you believe that? I said, I believe every word in the Bible. And they said, hmm. You have to reckon with the reality is that we don't make the rules, but there is one rule maker and his rules are worth following and living by. There is a way to live in life and that way is the right way and it's the right way to live. I don't control how it all works, but there is no idea. There's no idea in the Bible about universalism, like all roads lead to one. That is not true at all. There is one way to heaven. Here's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon did. He was pretty creative, and he's referring to the door of the ark, uh, Noah's ark. He said, well, in the morning when the ark door was opened, an observer might see a pair of golden eagles in the sky, but glancing downward, one might see creeping along a pair of snails, a pair of snakes, a pair of worms. There were pairs of creeping creatures as well as pairs of flying creatures, but there was only one entrance for them all. The eagle must come down to enter into it, and the worm must crawl up to it. There's only one door. Isn't that cool? There was only one door on Noah's ark, and that ark provided salvation for Noah and the family. So the message of, of Christianity is narrow. Jesus says, uh, in fact, remember when Jesus says in the Bible, right? He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to find it. What does that mean? What that means is, is it doesn't mean that there's not a lot of people that are going to get saved. What it means is, is that, the, that if you look at our Phoenix Valley, 87% of the valley, they're trying to go through a door of guilt. If they're going to go to church, they're going to think, well, I'll get baptized. I'll give my money. I'll try to be a good person. And when I die and meet my maker in the world hereafter, hopefully my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and I get in. But all that is is fear because they never know if it's enough. Um, so... The Bible does say, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to find it. And so first we see that there is salvation in this offer. And then um, there is as well, not only salvation, but this is forgiveness. I don't know what you're struggling with, what sin addiction you have, what, what kind of... Uh, temptation that you are facing, but the good news of the gospel of grace is that you can find forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. When the apostles went out and started preaching, they started preaching about the forgiveness of sins. Your neighbors need to know that they can find forgiveness, help, and healing in a relationship with Jesus Christ because he's a God filled with grace. When I first became a Christian, I found out I was forgiven. And you know what it felt like? It felt like somebody wiped me clean. Somebody gave me a brand new start. 
Forgiveness is also an idea that's connected to a financial sense. Um, when you get into really bad debt, you're, you feel like you're, uh, you have these huge burdens around you. And what can happen is you can be forgiven. You can absolutely be forgiven of your debts if somebody steps in and pays off your debts. Do you see what I'm saying? You can be forgiven of your debt if somebody pays it off. Well, who pays it off in the Christian life? Jesus. Amen? Jesus paid it all. So he cancels out your debt. Think of a gigantic negative right here. He cancels out your debt. He wipes it clean. You walk through the door of grace, guess what? You find forgiveness. Your debt has been forgiven. What did you do? You sinned against God. You violated his righteous decrees. You cannot have a relationship with an almighty, perfectly just, holy God unless you are uh, made right yourself. So it starts with forgiveness. But the good news is, this is really uh, amazing, is that it all happens through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7, let's look at this. In him we have redemption through his, help me out, his blood. He made the sacrifice for your sins. You don't have to worry if he was said that to be the, the lamb that was slain. He was the forgiveness that you needed. There's an atonement that's been made that you can have access to God. You can go into the throne room of grace. You can get into the throne room because you were already forgiven. You can get in there because Jesus paid it all for you. The forgiveness of our trespasses, that, that idea of trespasses means you've gone to places, done things you shouldn't have done. You, you broke through rules, you broke through God's holy commands to areas you shouldn't have done. You looked at something you shouldn't have. You did something you shouldn't have. You said something you shouldn't have. The Bible tells us that we're all born into sin and sin and struggle with sin. But the good news is that we can be forgiven. That's good news. When you get forgiven, you, you feel better. When you get in a fight with your spouse or your family or your friends and you make up and there's forgiveness, amen, it feels better, doesn't it? Like, we need forgiveness. Man, I need forgiveness. When I found forgiveness in, in the Christian life, I felt like a new person. But you know what? It didn't stop there. There's something else that happens when you walk through the door of grace. You get justified. This is far better than forgiveness to me, but it's absolutely necessary that you have to be forgiven. Forgiven means all your debts have been canceled. So if this is a financial idea, think about it like this. You were in incredible debt. Jesus steps into your life. He pays off all your debt. And now in the bank account, you're at zero. You're, you're, you, you, all your debt's been covered, but you're at zero. Justified means you get a deposit. You get credited something you never had. So justification is the idea that you've been declared righteous. How are you declared righteous? When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he gives us a righteousness that is not our own. When I started, when I started living like a, a Christian, people said to me, Ryan, I'm so proud of you. You're living like a Christian. I'm so proud of you. You're really pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And I said to them, I'm not pulling myself up by my bootstraps. That's a power that is not my own. God saved me. God's the one who's motivated me. I moved from hating my brother, hating my family, to loving my brother and loving my family. How did that happen? 
God gave me something that was not my own. The word justified is the idea that we're made right with God and that we've been credited. This, if this is a negative sign, this is a plus sign. You got something great in the bank account in your spiritual life. Your sins have not just been forgiven, but you have been given a righteousness that is not your own. Are you with me? So here we go, looking at uh, some wonderful passages. We're going to look at the word justified, and we're going to look also at this word peace. Let's look at this. So when you get justified, you're going to find peace. This is what the offer is in the Christian message. Some of you are deeply anxious. You're struggling to have peace. Well, the Bible tells us through Romans 5.1, what a wonderful passage. If this doesn't minister to you enough, it should. And when it does, you should share this with your friends. Therefore, since we've been justified, made right, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you can find peace with God you can have peace with God, but it happens through who? Look what it says, through Jesus Christ. That means through here. That's where you go. You've got to get through there. So for every single one of us, you need to know when we're struggling to have peace, spend more time with Jesus. When you see people around you that don't have peace, Jesus is the answer. Christmas, there was an angelic, announcement on the first Christmas that the angel said that he is peace of the, he is the joy and the peace of the world. He's the prince of peace. The Bible tells us that we are justified. The Bible tells us that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's put this up there. You got peace. And um, that is something to be grateful for. Number five, I would say, is that you find faith. This is interesting. I, I, I didn't quite comprehend this as much as I did in times past than this week as I studied it. But Romans 1.17 tells us that this, it says, For in it the righteousness of God, it's referring to the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, what does that mean? It means that the whole Christian life is about faith. That it starts with faith, you place your faith in Jesus, but it continues on in faith. And guess who's giving you faith? God has given you faith. Listen to this. Uh, here's where it makes more sense. Ephesians 2.8. This is such a gift. Ephesians 2.8. So you walk through the door of grace. You choose Jesus Christ. You find salvation, forgiveness. You're justified. You got peace. You got faith. You're waking up in the day and saying, I believe, even when you don't feel like believing. You got faith. When you're struggling, fill me up with faith. He'll give you more faith. The righteous shall live by what? Faith. So Ephesians 2, 8, here it goes. For by grace you have been saved through, help me out, faith. Watch this. And this is not your own doing. Well, whose doing is it? It's God's doing. Look at this. It's a gift of God. Have you ever thought about that? Faith is a gift from God. God, give me more gifts. Give me more. I would like to have more faith. Thank you. That's a gift from you. Man, you have awesome faith. I'm so proud of you. God did it. He gave me faith. Some people have strong faith. 
For it is by grace you've been saved. Grace, you've been saved. Through faith, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. I hadn't thought about that before as much. It's a gift of God. So you walk through that door, ladies and gentlemen, and he'll give you more faith. That's good. This is why people are lying on their deathbed at the end and they're saying this. It's okay. I'm okay. Why? God's given them faith. The Christian life starts with faith, ends with faith. So what do you tell your friends? You tell your friends to go through the door of grace. Even in their doubt and discouragement and despair, Jesus shows up behind locked doors to that guy named Thomas and says, basically, have faith and have some peace, okay? Number six, another promise for you and me is that you and I get hope. We get hope. Here's what it says in the Bible, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, probably the most interactive to you and I as believers and any other member of the Trinity. He's with us all the time. He's not an it. It's not a force. He's the third person uh, of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible tell us? And we have a God of hope. He's got a lot of hope for you, a lot of hope for me. He's going to fill you up with all joy. I feel like I need more joy sometimes, don't you? The church needs more joy. Christians need more joy. He'll fill you up with all joy and peace in believing, though. You and I need to believe so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This holiday season, there's all-time highs in, in depression and anxiety, suicide. All of that goes up because people are hopeless. They're struggling with hopelessness. They're incredibly guilty. And you could be a messenger of hope for people and tell them there's grace, that there's forgiveness, that there's joy. May the God of hope fill you up. Number seven would be this is just love. Faith, hope, love. That's the trinity of uh, virtues um, that are available for us as we walk through that door of grace. Uh, here's what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. John three sixteen. This is the passage that you see at the football games. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you with a crazy kind of love. He's loved you before the foundations of the earth have ever even been formed. For God so loved the world. That means everybody in it. And uh, I think about this kind of love. When I started dating uh, my wife, I fell madly in love with her and I did all sorts of crazy things for her. I, I, um, I would take time off of work. I would spend a lot of extra money. I, when I proposed to her, I tried to make it as special as possible. I um, organized all sorts of incredible events to make her feel so special. 
I got a limousine. I put her in, a, in, a, in an airplane. I flew her over our house so that she could see uh, this big sign we created that said, marry me. And I look back at that and I remember somebody asking, why, why do you want to do that? And I said, because I think she needs this to know how much I love her. And, you know, it's hard because once you do that, everything's downhill after that. <laughs> and, and, and that was probably my greatest mistake, you know, because, because I, couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I, can't, I mean, I can't arrange uh, the limos in the air and the, the planes and all that. But I think about that kind of love I did. I, was, I woke up, if you've ever, in the beginning of your time frame, of you find somebody you love so much, you'd do anything for that person, right? You'd do anything for them. And that is the God we have, that good shepherd that lies in the gap. The good shepherd literally would be so tough that he would be attacked by a wolf before he'd ever let it in there. This is the good shepherd that died on the cross for you and me. This is the good shepherd. He is also the door. What a powerful message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. There is a door to salvation, and you are that door. You fill in the gap. You stand in the gap. You absorb the brutality. You handle all the pain, all the challenges that we face. You can deal with our adversaries, and we're safe with you. Father, for those that are here today and they've never walked through that door of salvation, they've never experienced that door of grace and found salvation, might today be the day where they simply acknowledge their sin, they acknowledge their wrongdoing, they acknowledge their trespasses, they know they have violated your will and your ways. I pray today they would simply pray a simple prayer silently today just like this. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my sin. I need saving. I acknowledge that I have uh, gone too far and I want a relationship with you. I believe in you, Jesus Christ, to be the forgiveness of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus Christ, that you suffered on that cross for me. I believe that you're the one who can forgive. And I confess you today as my Lord and Savior. And Father, for all of us, might we remember we always want to be in that door of grace, Lord. And we pray that we would share that message. We would remember that as well in our own lives where we struggle with guilt or where we struggle with shame. Might we return to the promises that we have in our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.